I realised that being in a wheelchair, you don't really get to escape the man-made world very much. It's really difficult to escape concrete and tarmac and ramps and places that are obviously more handy for wheels. So I've always been attracted to ways to try and get out into this sort of true wilderness. I think when I face fears, I'm still scared like anybody else would be, but I don't usually run away. I usually try and confront them and think, well, there's something in this. Thank you for joining us for episode number 19 of the Hardest Nails podcast brought to you by Islands Adventure Magazine, Outsider.ie. My name's Kevin and it's great to have you back for this episode which is supported by Follow the Camino, the original walking holiday experts. For over a decade, Follow the Camino has been helping pilgrims to walk, cycle or horse ride along the famous Camino de Santiago pilgrimage routes in Spain. They create a custom itinerary just for you that includes airport transfers, spectacular accommodation, meals and luggage transfers so that all you have to do is enjoy your adventure to the fullest. Take the first step to your ultimate getaway. Go visit their website www.followthecamino.com Follow the Camino, your Camino, your way. Now, some of you who are listening might be able to say that you have cycled across the Himalayas or sea kayaked from Canada to Alaska or even skied across the Greenland ice cap. Perhaps some of you have uh, done a similar sort of challenge, but I'm convinced that none of you have done any of these adventures with no movement from your chest down. Well, our incredible guest has, and she is also a Paralympic gold medalist, athlete, adventurer, and author. She is an extraordinary human being who has touched the lives of many through her spirit of adventure, and she now joins us on the Hard as Nails podcast. It's the one and only Karen Dark. Karen, thank you so much for giving up some of your time to share your unbelievable story with us and uh, reflect on a few of the highlight moments uh, from your life as an athlete and adventurer. Um, no problem. Yeah, thank you. Well, Karen, as I mentioned, uh, y- you are paralyzed from the chest down following a, a-, a sea cliff climbing accident uh, all the way back in 1993 when you were just 21 years old. For our, our listeners who are not too familiar with that story, could-, could you relive that moment and explain to them what happened on that day? I can't relive it entirely because I can't remember most of it. Yeah. But I was climbing on sea cliffs just outside Aberdeen in northeast Scotland. I was a student there at the time. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I was climbing with friends, I led the climb, thinking I was strong enough. I wasn't strong enough, it was kind of overhanging. And yeah, so there was a moment when I realised I wasn't going to be able to hold on to the rock face anymore. I called to my climbing partner to pull in the rope, and unfortunately the last bit of equipment I'd put in the rock mm-hmm. to secure the rope to, that came away. So I swung, hit the rock below, fell about 10 metres, and woke up three days later in intensive care to discover that yeah it was a chapter of a whole new life i couldn't walk and yeah, i was yeah. paralyzed from the chest down sure wow well in those first few weeks and months that that followed uh, the incident while you were lying there in the hospital bed how, how would you describe your emotional and mental state having now as you mentioned to learn a whole new way of doing things um i mean in the very beginning it's completely completely numbed you're not completely lucid there's lots of drugs being used mm-hmm. to um to you know Managed the all the breaks I had. I had a broken skull, two broken arms, broken spine, broken neck. Like pretty much everything apart from my legs was broken, really. So, mm. yeah, I think in the in the very beginning, it's a fight for survival. The time when it really hit me was when I was moved to a specialist spinal injury hospital after a month in intensive care, and then mm. 
suddenly I saw other people in wheelchairs and I didn't have that same kind of specialist care that I had had. Mm. And the reality of what lay ahead really started to hit me with more impact. And yeah, that was a, that was a difficult time, um, especially when you can't really do anything to start. You have to just lie there until your bones heal. Mm. So you're just lying there all day looking at ceiling piles, kind of anticipating what this means for you and clearly thinking a lot about what life used to be like and what mm. things are going to be like now. Yeah, we can only imagine. Well, being a paraplegic, it was not going to stop you from living your life and, and missing out on any sort of amazing adventure. In 2006, I mean, you grabbed many people's attention when you took part in an expedition which crossed Greenland's ice cap while sitting on skis and using your arms and poles to cover the over 370-mile crossing. What motivated you to, first of all, take part in the expedition and what was the greatest lesson you took away from that experience? So I just got a thirst for adventure. Any reason to be um, out there, I'm quite keen. I realised that being in a wheelchair, you don't really get to escape the man-made world very much. Mm-hmm. It's really difficult to escape concrete and tarmac and ramps and places that are obviously more handy for wheels. So I've always been attracted to ways to try and get out into this sort of true wilderness. So Greenland was an extreme case of that. Mm. I have some friends, and um, one of them's from Finland, went on holiday to visit them, tried cross-country skiing, and after the holiday, which, to be honest, I'd had a miserable time on, <laughs> found it really, really difficult, couldn't mm. control the sit-ski at all. Mm-hmm. Um, they suggested, hey, why don't we try and see if we can ski across Greenland? So it seemed utterly crazy in the beginning, mm. but, yeah, obviously it wasn't so crazy, and we did manage it, and it was a really life-changing experience. Mm. In, in what ways did it change your life, Karen? Um, I think it was my first kind of experience of just being completely out there in the wilderness. And what, mm. was, what was interesting in the beginning is that you spent, we spent the first week thinking about what to think about. <laughs> and then it's the first time I've been somewhere where it's so empty. There's just nothing. Just the routine is, you know, just a daily kind of grind of a routine. Mm. I think it was probably equivalent to going on something like, a, you know, a Buddhist month-long silent retreat or something because mm. you just retreat into your own thoughts and I realized that when we become silent in inside ourselves which that expedition made me do then lots of things resolve themselves without us needing to figure them out and work them out and find the answers so mm. yeah, it was quite a quite a profound experience of mm. being in total silence really. Wow very profound and now from skiing though you went to climbing mountains again and and you conquered El Capitan in Yosemite National Park which you actually wanted to do before you became paralyzed the physical challenge though was enormous taking five days and and 4,000 pull-ups to hoist yourself up the rock face there was even a point though that uh, you actually seriously considered quitting it How, how did you cope with that experience psychologically to return to a similar sort of activity which led to your paralysis yeah, I mean, that was probably one of the toughest, well, it was the toughest psychological thing I've ever done. Mm. Um, it wasn't my idea to climb it. <laughs> I was, um, yeah, I was in a relationship at the time with a climber who climbed it many times, mm. and he suggested it. It seemed mad, and I didn't want to tell my mum and dad what I was considering, because I didn't want them to worry, so I told them I was going on a beach holiday to California. <laughs> yeah, and I was, I was really intimidated by the whole experience. When we arrived, I was petrified. When we began, I was petrified. We retreated the first time, because things didn't go well, and we dropped all our food. And I seriously considered not, not going back. And then I realised, I must have some kind of gene inside me that just can't say no, and mm. can't... I think when I face fears, my default is to 
I'm still scared like anybody else would be, but I don't usually run away. I usually try and confront them and think, well, there's something in this. And if I'm logical and do things right, then there's a way to do it safely. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's always an element of risk, but yeah. I pretty much reduce that risk by being tied to about three ropes at the same time at <laughs> any one moment. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, uh, it was a big lesson for me in the power of our mind and our thoughts. Mm-hmm. Just like if you're watching a, a horror film, you can choose to stop it and put in a different you know, a comedy instead. Mm. So I think our mind is quite similar. We aren't, you know, we aren't our thoughts. We can control them and mm. that can change how we feel. So mm. that's what I, yeah, had a major experiment in on that rock, rock, that rock face. <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting way of putting it. And, and Karen, for many of our listeners now, they will know you as the phenomenal hand cyclist who's on the, the British paracycling team. Firstly, how did you come across hand cycling and was competing in the sport competitively the goal? No, I, when I was first paralyzed, I loved cycling anyway. Mm-hmm. I thought I really want to get a bike. That would be amazing. And maybe there's one you can pedal with your arms and, my first very big trip that I ever took just a few years after coming out of hospital was to the Himalaya. Mm-hmm. Um, we took a journey from me and some friends, went from Kyrgyzstan through Kazakhstan into China and then across into Pakistan. And it was this kind of big intrepid adventure and being in the wheelchair, lots of people were worried for me, but mm. we just did it independently. We just carried all our own kit and that, yeah, I fell in love with hand cycling really. Mm. And then ever since then, I've ridden just to stay fit and healthy and for fun and adventures but mm. I never saw myself as a competitive cyclist I, I think I've done two races and come last in them both yeah the, I, the decision to try and get to the Paralympics in London was a mm. was one based on the fact that the Paralympics was going to be in London mm-hmm. and I thought that would be very special but it really wasn't based on a belief that I could get there and certainly not win a medal so um mm. It was a gradual process of building confidence. Yeah. And speaking of the Himalayas there, Karen, uh, hand cycling across there, you also did Central Asia. Were these adventures daunting in any way for you? Always. Every single one of them has been daunting. I've never <laughs> I've never known how it's going to work out. I, mm. you know, what I usually do is write a list of everything I'm scared of and then think, mm, okay, what do I need to do to try and figure each of those out? Mm. I suppose as I've had more adventures, to a degree, they become less daunting. But, for example, on Thursday, I'm due to go to India, cycling, following the River Ganges from its source in the Himalayas downstream. And every adventure is different. Mm. And I'm daunted by this one because I've never really been into busy, busy, bustling India and mm. being paralyzed. I can't go to a toilet like people can normally. So finding toilets and, and managing wilderness, but, wilderness, but then this isn't really wilderness. There's going to be people everywhere all the time. Mm. Is you know, There's lots of elements involved that I don't always find it easy so yeah i get anxious like anybody would but also excited and these experiences though uh, how do they compare now to cycling from canada to mexico that's more recent that was just last year which was some two thousand miles and you did it in 37 days was that challenge more difficult to physically or mentally to overcome yeah i think uh, no that was a different trip to anything i've done before it was obviously more built up mm-hmm. um i didn't expect it to be quite as busy with traffic than it, as, it, as it was. Um, we were following a sort of cycle route, so it was very different. It was the first time I've followed a natural designated cycle route, essentially in a developed country, and mm. where it was, um, you know, the logistics of it were more straightforward in many ways because mm-hmm. you were never too far from food or shelter or water or anything like that. But, um, yeah, the, 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 doing that distance every day for that length of time was, was challenging. And... I was also on the trip with two people I didn't really know very well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, team dynamics is always 
interesting and challenging and, and different. You never know what to expect. So, mm. yeah, that one was, was a different experience on that front. So that was <laughs> probably the... The, the, the tougher side of it was that was that was that because mm. um, everyone was in quite a different place with different levels of fitness and different motivations, etc. Mm. Well, leading up to that cycle down America, you were at obviously, as we all know, the 2016 Paralympics in Rio. And it, it must be a moment in your life, Karen, you will cherish forever, having won that gold medal in the women's time trial. What was that moment like for you? And, and what did it take to achieve this? The sacrifices you might have had to make along the way following the silver medal you won in 2012 in London? Yeah, so the, I mean, the moment I won was very special. I didn't know. My, my event is a time trial. That means you set off at one minute intervals and you don't know how you've done until after the race is finished so in that respect it's quite strange because you just do your race you finish and then you're waiting for the mm. results i thought the race had gone really badly i had um dropped my chain in the race i've had to actually stop and physically pick it up oh, and put wow. it back on again mm-hmm. i'd acquired a shoulder injury about just before getting on the flight to rio so about kind of eight days before the race or 10 days before the race so all in all I, when I crossed the finish line, I felt I'd blown it. It had been my focus for so long to win that race, and I really thought there was no chance that I'd done it. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it was really special when I found out that I had won it, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, I, I was quite... I think I'd given so much into that process, mm-hmm. put so much effort into the years leading up to it to kind of put pressure on myself to win the gold medal that... When it, after it had happened, I got home and I was completely broken. My shoulder was injured, and I think mm. mentally and physically, um, on every level, I was completely burnt out. So it wasn't kind of the amazing experience you might hope it would be afterwards. It was a little bit like finding the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and then looking at it and going, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, although I was never under any illusions. It, you know, it's always about the yeah. process, not the winning of things, really. But um, it's all very well to say that once you have one. Mm. But... Yeah, it was it was very special. It was a culmination of many many years of hard work, not yeah. just my own, but the people in the team and around me. You know, an athlete isn't doesn't win a medal on their own. It's mm. everybody else too. <laughs> wow! And the training that's involved with that. I mean, as you mentioned, years and years of hard work. How did you set out your your routine in order to get into the best possible shape you could be flying off to Rio? I have a coach, so we worked together for many years. Mm-hmm. So that was part of the process um, and part of British cycling. So, yeah, you basically make a plan just like you would a business plan Mm -hmm. and you, uh, as the athlete, you're the one that has to execute the plan (laughs) um, and do the training sessions. But obviously there's lots of people, other people involved with that from coach to strength and conditioning coach to um, physiologists and Mm -hmm. physiotherapists. And, you know, as you know, it's not just a case of going there and rocking up and and succeeding. It's uh, all part of quite a, a carefully plan yeah wow now when it comes obviously to competing as an elite athlete the right equipment can often make the difference between a gold and a silver medal interestingly you approached the williams formula one team to help uh, improve your handbag how valuable was that assistance yeah well i'll never know but it seemed pretty valuable they (laughs) they didn't think they would be able to do it Mm -hmm. then they basically asked for some volunteers and between them a bunch of volunteers stepped forward and gave up all their personal time to design a bike the design process took longer than the build i think mm. and yeah it was my privilege to be presented with the bike not long before going to which to be honest was quite risky it was the time still was too tight so i didn't have mm. time to train on it to to test it to fully put it to its paces but mm-hmm. 
it looked amazing and it felt pretty good and it felt pretty fast so we went with it and <laughs> yeah it worked out yeah well with the highs karen obviously come the low points in life as you will know one of the, those were in uh, 2013 when you came pretty much close to dying. I mean, you got hit from behind by a car while you were out training uh, on your hand cycle. When you look back on that incident, how would you say it affected you? Yeah, so um, I basically lost mm-hmm. the nerves in the back of my arm were really badly impacted. So I lost function in the arm for a while and it mm-hmm. took a long time to retrain the nerve pathways. And it was more of a neural training of the movement than it was the the sensation particularly but mm-hmm. yeah i suppose that to, you know like you say life is a roller coaster and i know that very well we completely <laughs> died about seven times sure. yeah that was a, a, a difficult process to go through and i wasn't sure if my, my career as a, as a paralympic cyclist would be over but mm. you know whenever i think whenever you hit rock bottom then it's always a great reminder to me of how important and special close friends are and they're always the ones that get you through friends close mm-hmm. friends and family and that was certainly the case for me that that summer and that year and i couldn't manage without them i couldn't even get in out of my wheelchair or do anything for myself mm-hmm. for quite a while <laughs> so um yeah that's i think that's a very nice reminder to have and mm-hmm. always put my friends and family yeah. high up the the list if i can and um you know the other reminder is that no matter how sort of low you think then tomorrow's another day and if you just keep doing little things every day then you do get stronger and you do get better and the body wants to be well really Mm. you know it taught me that the body's very smart if you give it the right things it wants to recover so i just had to begin a little bit every day just building up and my dad was a great reminder of that he had a stroke um a few years before that and he loved cycling Mm -hmm. and he would just go on to his the the doctor told me he wouldn't walk again and he certainly wouldn't cycle and he used to get on his bike on an indoor trainer and just do 10 minutes a day, even though he couldn't get on the bike, he had to get my mum to help him get his leg over onto it. <laughs> and then, yeah, you know, five minutes goes to 10 minutes, goes to 20 minutes, goes to a half an hour, and before you know it, you're, you're riding again. So mm. I think it's just a case of never giving up. Speaking about what you've just mentioned there, Karen, you also are a firm believer that uh, disability is a state of mind, not a state of body. Could you elaborate just a bit more on what that means to you personally? Clearly, <laughs> it's not quite like that. You know, I have spent some time in my life, a number of years, trying to retrain my legs to, to move again and walk again. I used a special machine for hours and hours and hours every day to do that. Mm. So I can't walk. But what I've realized is that my disability, whilst it's obvious and it's physical and I, I can't do certain things, mm-hmm. there's many people I meet who do far less or are able to do far less because their mind stops them or you know, fears getting away, anxieties or, or motivation or whatever it may be. So I think, you know, to a point, you can pretty much do, maybe I don't even know what the point is. I'm not sure mm-hmm. there is a point. You, you know, if you set your mind to something and you work hard and you have a team of people and you support each other and and just keep trying, then mm. I think incredible things are possible that we wouldn't otherwise expect to be. Yeah. Now, since winning Golden Rio, uh, Karen, which was the 79th medal for your country. That number has become quite special for you and it led you to coming up with the idea for Quest 79, which is a project to undertake a total of nine hand bike rides on the seven continents while also raising money for charity and encouraging others to uh, take on their own sorts of challenges. I absolutely love the idea. How much planning has gone into this project? Uh, to a degree, I'm making it up as I go along. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a big team of people to help me. I'm 
mm-hmm. training full time as a Paralympian. So mm-hmm. I'm obviously having to plan ahead for my own Quest 79, which is one seven continents, nine rides. So mm-hmm. when I first invented the project, I didn't anticipate necessarily still being part of the Paralympic team, but it's, it was supposed to kind of be the, the, the next thing that would fill out for not being a full time athlete. But now it seems I'm doing the double and doing all of it. So. <laughs> That's a bit of a surprise. Yeah. But what, you know, part of the project, which is for me is much more exciting and to be honest, has given me huge amounts of motivation and inspiration back again mm-hmm. is seeing what other people are coming up with and doing for themselves. And I've struggled a bit since Rio um, with my own motivation and energy. And I've kind of got it back this summer. And it's, I think it's largely been attributable to seeing all the people doing their own Quest 79 projects. So, mm-hmm. For example, there's a ten-year-old boy from the Isle of Skye. He heard it on the radio, and he just informed his mum and dad that he wanted to climb 79 peaks in 79 weeks. Wow. And they weren't even mountain climbers. <laughs> wow. So, lots of people doing some really great things. From yeah. you know, that's one example. But mm-hmm. Mark Pitcher was the first person that came to me and said he wanted to run his first marathon, but only when 79 people agreed to donate blood. Mm-hmm. or um, that was fueled by a family member who's got a rare blood disease, a child in his family that mm-hmm. needs blood donations. So there's just some really creative yeah. and special things going on out there, which um, is coming right back at me in terms of <laughs> moving me and giving me quite a lot of uh, inspiration. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow. And and for those that have not been onto your website, uh, www.karendark.com, they will obviously see the challenges. They are listed there. How far along are you into the project? And is there a specific end date in sight in which you hope to complete it all? Yeah, so originally I thought that the Tokyo Paralympics would be the end date. And I wasn't sure that I'd be competing in them, but I thought I'd be there and do a ride in Japan. But mm-hmm. I'm hoping that I will be there and competing. Mm-hmm. So we're about halfway through the project. I'm just about to embark on the fifth ride to the Asian continent. That's going to be in India. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the big one, the big one in terms of really challenging and financially very, very tough will be getting to Antarctica. It's not easy to get down there. Mm-hmm. And I think ultimately that will end up being the last one. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't really go down there and expect to get to the Paralympics as well. So mm-hmm. that will have to be afterwards. So yeah, that's, one that I started work on already, it's going to take a long time to organize it and to try and finance it and find mm. potential sponsors for it. And it's really important to me that, you know, the expense of getting down there, that that's kind of justified in my own mind that mm. we raise a significant amount of money for charity, yeah. kind of matching what we spend at least in, in doing that. Mm, absolutely. Now, I'm imagining that Antarctica one will be the one that's on the top of the list in terms of continents you're looking forward to the most. But h- how do you go about choosing the nine different rides? Not sure it's ones I'm looking forward to the most. It's definitely the one that I'm scared of. Okay. <laughs> you know, really intimidated by that, but yeah, mm-hmm. excited as well. Mm-hmm. Um, well, obviously, there's, uh, most of the rides have had a connection to water. So okay. South America was following the coast of Patagonia down to um, through Chile towards mm-hmm. Argentina. Um, America was following the Pacific Ocean down the coast there. Mm-hmm. The Ganges is following the river. The next one after the Ganges is going to be Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. There's not an actual water feature, but we're going to head up into the Ethiopian highlands, which get called the Water Tower of Australia, oh, is wow. where pretty much all the water for Africa falls, mm. and it's quite a rare sort of ecological setup there with the alpine environment. So mm. 
Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm very fortunate and it's all very exciting. So. Mm, yeah. Karen, I, I must admit that I, I, I'm sitting and I find myself forgetting now and then that these challenges that you speak of, which require such mental and physical toughness, are being done by an extraordinary person who has to constantly deal with the challenges that life brings with, with being a paraplegic. Do you sometimes find that you might have bitten off more than you can chew during an expedition or even in the preparation for one? No, I'm I'm not extraordinary. I'm just very ordinary, and <laughs> I think my mind and my ideas just get me into trouble. So, mm-hmm. just like anybody else would find themselves overwhelmed and intimidated at times, then I do too. But mm-hmm. I think I'm I'm quite good at problem solving. I'm quite good at staying fairly calm, mm-hmm. and I guess I must have got quite good at sort of planning and anticipating. So those things work in my favour. But at the same time, I yeah I. I I get worried and a little bit scared and and tired and all the other things that anybody else would. So, yeah. Mm. <laughs> What's the greatest worry that you have when, when you are out on an expedition? It totally depends where it is. Okay. I mean, to be honest, the biggest issue for me is bladder and bowels. <laughs> They're <laughs> always my biggest worry, whatever yeah. environment. I mean, especially if you're out there in a remote environment, you can't afford to be having issues in those departments because... Yeah. Um, yeah, you've got limited resources and one sleeping bag and you just don't want to be having troubles. So mm. that's always my biggest concern and my biggest challenge, to be honest. Mm. Isn't it even something that would come on to most people's radar? No, exactly. Like, <laughs> you just slot that in without thinking about it. Yeah. You know? And while you're out there on, on, on your hand bike and you're taking on these massive challenges, what is it that runs through your mind, Karen? And, and does that differ to what you're thinking about when you're training for an event with the, the British paracycling team? It's a totally, totally different thing. Uh-huh. I mean, um, what being with the British paracycling team, it's, you know, you don't want to be doing long expeditions, really. I have to fit them in at certain times of the year when it doesn't impact my training too much. Mm-hmm. It's all about short and sharp and and that racing focus. So it's, it's totally, totally different. But I suppose what they have in common is that, yeah, you've got to work hard, you've got to be resilient, you've got to plan, you've got to kind of figure it all out like that. So, mm-hmm. uh-huh. But there's very little overlap in terms of, you know, phys- physically what, you, what you're doing. And uh, when we're away with the team, we're quite often staying in reasonably nice hotels. And, you know, it's just very different. <laughs> yeah, very different way of life. So when you're out yeah. there do- doing the expeditions uh, as yourself, as a, sometimes a solo effort or just with a small group of people, w- what runs through your mind, though, to, to, to help you get through the whole entire expedition it entirely depends on what it is and who i'm with so Mm -hmm. for example this next trip to india i'm going with two very very good friends okay they've never done anything like this before you know never been to the kind of country that india is Mm -hmm. they my friend christine has never ridden a bike until she bought one after supporting me in rio and seeing me ride and suddenly thinking she was going to try my thoughts for that you know how to i've got more experience in doing these things than they do and Mm. Not that I feel responsible for them, but to some degree I probably do. And I'm thinking, how can I make it the best possible experience for them? I don't want them to go and have a mm. have a horrible time. It's like, okay, how do we make it work so that they, yes, get a challenge and get pushed a little bit, but mm. also you know, it's a great experience for them. Yeah, absolutely. Now, a- apart from the adventures, uh, you also run your own company called Inspire and Impact, which uh, uh, you deliver motivational talks, you do some coaching as well as a uh, uh, personal and team development. What's the most rewarding part of this side of your life, Karen? So, you know, it's quite interesting because I never set out to, I used to hate public speaking. I got really embarrassed <laughs> if I had to speak. I went bright red and mm-hmm. if someone would have told me that's what I'd end up doing for 
part of my job. I wouldn't really have believed them. But it was really, really, I find it very rewarding. I'm able to meet people, sometimes you know, not very long, but I suppose because I'm sharing quite a personal story, mm-hmm. people come to me and they share quite a personal story as well. So you end up just having some, albeit brief, quite deep connections. And um, that's like a privilege to, to, to work in that area and to be able to potentially help people, influence people in a positive way. I, I hope that's what happens. I'm conscious that sometimes it might just feel too overwhelming because sometimes when I look at the things I've done, I can't believe it and mm. I don't want anyone, I don't want to kind of psych anyone out <laughs> or intimidate anybody. But I think, I hope that when I speak to people, it's, they get the idea that I'm just a, just a regular person <laughs> as well. And, you know, that we, I'm scared, I get scared and, mm. you know, it's all about just working through that process within your own, within your own mind and mm. or with the people that you're going to be doing something with. Yeah. Well, you are also the author of uh, two amazing books. The first being If You Fall, published in 2006, and then Boundless, which was released in 2012. First of all, what was the motivation behind each book, Karen? And uh, secondly, from what I hear, there's a third book that's uh, coming out. Um, if You Fall, that was just completely motivated by me writing to help myself. It was like a cathartic process. I never planned for it to be a book. Mm-hmm. Somewhere quite far down the line, after quite a few years of me writing to sort of help myself, it developed into, you know, someone said, hey, well, this should be a book, and that's how it ended up. So mm-hmm. that was kind of an accident. <laughs> the Boundless, I was fortunate to take part in a mountain writing program at the Banff Mountain Centre in Canada. Mm-hmm. And we had editors working with us and it was an opportunity to really practice the skill of writing. And that was just an amazing experience to get that support to basically learn to write. And yeah, that led to Boundless. Mm-hmm. And then most recently, it's just a, sm- a short, a small book called Quest 79, which mm-hmm. is a series of short stories. It's basically for every letter of the alphabet, there is um, a short story connected to a certain topic so um and that might be motivation or it might be attitude or i can't remember what the letters are now but a little story to go with each of those from mm-hmm. my own experiences and then a kind of so what why mm-hmm. am i telling you the story and how might it help you yeah. um, after that so that's just for uh, all the proceeds from that are going to the Spinal Injuries Association i got, I got to look out for that uh, third book of yours there quest 79 well Karen, this might be a bit of a tricky question now to answer as it is something that could never happen. But if you would just, I don't know, indulge our listeners and myself, based on what you've achieved now, the incredible accomplishments, uh, the many wonderful experiences you've, you've lived over these last 25 years, would you give that all up if it meant that you could go back to 1993 and prevent your accident from happening? Well, that's a clever question. So quite often people say, would you, would you? Would you like to walk? And of course, the answer is yes. But mm-hmm. I don't think anyone said, "Would you give it all up?" So you know, I don't. I don't go there with that question. It's a theoretical question. Mm-hmm. Of course, I would rather have the function of my body. I would love to be able to use my body and walk. And I will never know what my life would have been like if I could have done that. But mm-hmm. I often think of that film, well, "Sliding Doors." I think it's Gwyneth Paltrow, where mm-hmm. you know, one of them she goes home and finds her boyfriend in bed with somebody the one she goes to work and things carry mm-hmm. on and you just mm-hmm. it, it's two different totally different scenarios and I'll never know what my life would have been like mm-hmm. had I not had the accident all I know is that I have had the opportunity to live a really unique and pretty amazing <laughs> life mm-hmm. um, I couldn't have really anticipated it or written it or imagined it so mm-hmm. yeah what I've had is good and 
I think I've got to be, you know, I am, I'm happy for that and I'm very grateful for the experiences that I've had and the people that I've met and been able to be, you know, friends and teammates with along the way because nothing I've done would have been possible without any of them. Yeah. I really, I really don't really see it as being down to me. I see it as a kind of effect of the spirit of humanity, really, and, mm-hmm. and the people I've known and been been lucky to be with yeah well as they say what's done is done and you you can only look forward now now with that said karen as we wrap up our conversation what's the biggest goal or target out there you still hope to achieve besides the adventures that still await on quest 79 well there's probably some other goals i've got in life that don't relate to adventures or sport so Mm -hmm. um yeah i quite like to find a partner in life Mm -hmm. and you know there's other things as well I've, i've I've not had too much success in love, so um, mm-hmm. that would be nice. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, basically, if I'm if I'm healthy and happy, and I can keep, I think my, my, you know, my goal in life is to live it mm. to the full, to make the most of every moment, to try and be a good person and do unto others as I'd want them to do unto me, and. If I can live by all those things, I, I guess I'm pretty open to whatever happens in life, really. Mm. <laughs> I never want to stop yeah. learning, that's for sure. Yeah. I, like, I like learning, and that's, uh, adventures are a way to do that, but mm. it doesn't have to be. Among the, you, know, you can have an, an adventure in your, in your living room mm. or wherever as much as you can out in the big wide world. So I guess uh, there's many times in life when I've been stuck indoors or in hospital or, mm-hmm. or just been exploring inside myself more than outside myself and those times have also been very special so it doesn't all have to be about going out and having crazy adventures well that wasn't an answer i was expecting but i absolutely just love that simplicity of it well karen many of us will never completely understand all the challenges that come with being paralyzed but uh, your adventurous and resilient approach to life shows that we are only restricted by what our mind tells us we can and cannot do you truly are an inspiration thank you so much for chatting with us on the hardest nails podcast and uh, we hope there are many more adventures ahead that you will get to experience and then come back to tell us all about thank you and thank you for thank you for having me on the show